Super Talk Mississippi media production. What is Moondog? Moondog Makers and Bakers is not just a catering company. It's blended tradition with innovation and something familiar just done differently. To get a taste of what they're truly all about, you can order some awesome merch, crafted spice blends, or request catering for your very own event. MoondogMakersandBakers.com What is up on a Wednesday? I'm Brian Scott Rippey. My co-conspirator, as always, is Colin Brister. We appreciate you hanging out with us on this Wednesday, August 21st edition of the Rebel Report. Um, Ole Miss is kind of stuck in the, uh, the I guess, dog days of fall camp, if you'd call it. They're in their third and final week as they get to game week. Um, we've had a couple of availabilities. I'm headed to practice again after we record this podcast. Um, some Ole Miss basketball stuff to get to. The Athletic released a state of the program story on Ole Miss, and it's basically tells you what you know about them as far as them having the backcourt to kind of go back to the NCAA tournament, what they had, and how they've reshaped the front court. Some of that we talked about on Monday. Um, what's up? Not much, not much. We have like actual football that counts in four days, three days, three days. Wow. Yeah, we do. So, what we've got Florida and uh, there's two games on Saturday: Florida and uh, and and uh, Miami, Miami, and then you've got Arizona and Hawaii. Um, all right, all right. What, what are you taking? Uh, uh, Florida is minus seven against Miami. Um, I don't know. It just, just seems like early on in the year like that, un- like particularly when it's like a touchdown or maybe if you can buy it to more than a touchdown, like that would seem like a pretty good bet for Miami just because first game is Florida really going to run them out of the water with kind of some of the turmoil they've had in the off season. I don't know. I might do my, I might take Miami, but I have no idea. I'm not confident in any, either of those. What about uh, what about Hawaii plus 11 against Arizona? Uh, I have no idea. I think Kevin Sumlin's tenure at Arizona is going to be an abject disaster. I think it's probably already trending that way because he somehow managed to mess up Khalil Tate, who I think actually played injured last year, but still um, was one of the most electrifying players in college football as last year under Rich Rodriguez. And then didn't really hear a whole lot from him last year because one, he was part, he was hurt. I don't know what he was, what was hurt, but I do remember that he was hurt. And two, Arizona was atrocious. Um, I have no idea what. I don't know what. Like, I, I couldn't well, name you Hawaii's colors, much less their team. I mean, a player on their team. Hawaii or uh, Arizona did the thing last year that Mississippi State did. They tried to make their their running quarterback a passer, and that just doesn't go well. Um. Yeah, that does not go well. But I. I, it sounds like the reason they they tried to make him more of a passer is because he was hurt and like was at least had some kind of hindrance as far as running. Maybe I just think Kevin someone's incompetent. Um. Yeah, he recruited really well at Texas A and M for a while. Had a couple really good teams, and it really kind of went south on him there towards the end. So like, I don't know. I mean, he was good at Houston. It's not like the dude's forgotten how to coach football, but. It hasn't really gone his way the last couple of years, and I don't know. Some of that is coaches get – I mean, you saw with Houston Nutt, he kind of got content here and lazy coasting off Orgeron's recruits. You have some success. Maybe he's lost the drive to keep it. I don't know. Um, but I don't know. He was really good at Houston, really good at A&M for a little bit. I mean, they were recruiting up there with Alabama and LSU in that in that tier for a while. Yep. I mean, he had that famous quote where he was they had the fifth-ranked class in the country but third in their own division. Um, but it really fell off to our, from there for the end. Those teams were – we had a we had a, a guy from Texas. We've had him on our radio show a couple of times. I don't remember which one, but it was a while back saying that those teams – uh, those last couple of teams under someone were soft. And I know that's weird to say about a football team, and that's also very cliched because football is a very just violent sport in general. But you could kind of sense it. Those teams really were kind of soft. 
Oh, yeah. I mean, look, it's funny. He, he finished, I think, 8-4 and four every year, but it was just they never did anything. It was the most, like, weak 8-4 and four of all time. And eventually they get you run out of a and Yeah, it does. Obviously they spent, what, $75 million on Jimbo Fisher? Yeah. Which, that doesn't seem smart, but whatever. I mean, he's one of six active coaches to win a national championship. I think if Ole Miss had the opportunity to get fork up $75 million to get one of the six active coaches that have won a national title, I think everyone would want him to do it. Man, you giving out 10-year contracts to a coach that's in his 50s, like what happens in year five if this thing just goes to hell? Well, I mean, 50s in the coaching industry is really like 40s, man. Like, they coach well into their 60s. And with, I mean, college, I guess, is a little bit of an exception. I mean, Saban's in his upper 60s. Uh, I know it's a different game, but Pete Carroll's 67, about to be 68. Well, sure. I'm, but I, I just, the 10 year contract, man, are hard to get out of when he, look, he had the one good year. But what has he really done outside of Jameis, though? Like, you look at his tenure outside of Jameis Winston, it is not that great. Let's see, Jimbo Fisher at FSU. Jameis was there 13 and 14. I mean, they were fine, but they never played for a national title or in national title conversations outside of Jameis in two years. No, but 10 and 4, 9 and 4, 12 and 2, 14 and 0, 13 and 1, 10 and 3, 10 and 3, 5 and 6. So he won double digit games every single year except for two. That's pretty solid. I mean, sure. Years and and let's be honest, he wrecked that program when he left it too. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know, man. Wreck's a strong word. They were two years removed from a ten-win season. Yes, they've had some problems now. Yes, he's missed with some recruits, particularly on the offensive line. But like, I don't know about wrecked it. I, I I'm not sure. And that offensive line was so bad last year. It was, but they went to an Orange Bowl in sixteen. They sucked in 17, and he left. They would have gone 6-6 six and six if they had replayed that game. Like, I don't know if you can put that totally on him. Yeah, but I don't think he makes a ton of difference on last year's team either. No, I don't think so either. But at the same time, if he's there and he's continuing to be there, is Jimbo Fisher going to continue to go 6-6, six and 5-7? Six, and seven? I'm going to somehow doubt it. Maybe not. But I, the talent on that program last year, they were not going to a bowl game. And, and I think if he stays, I think his – I mean, he got out for a reason. There's, it, 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 that program was running on all cylinders. He doesn't leave, I don't think. Um. Yeah, that's probably fair, but I I don't know. I, I just have a hard time believing it would have stayed in the state it was in with him there a, a couple more years because there's no evidence to suggest that he's like that sort of coach. No, I mean, there's not. But on the same token, like I said, he got out. <laughs> for a reason, it, it, I mean, he doesn't get the same type gig if he does. If he goes what four and eight with Florida State last year, I mean, he's probably stuck there and having to rebuild. Whereas at A and M, look, someone didn't coach extremely well, but he walked into a gold mine of talent. Yeah, he did, but I don't know. It's always tough to say and tough to tell with the cup with these things. But I'm, all I'm saying is, if seventy five, if Ole Miss had the opportunity to fork up seventy five million dollars to get one of like six coaches that have won a national title, people would be rioting in the streets if they didn't do it. Man, look, they could have they they could have gave Les Miles a lot of money. I'm just kidding. Yeah, that's a little different scenario. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Don't do that, Ole Miss. The love of God. Um, yeah, so anyway, we got some different stuff to get to. Uh, for media availability on Monday, Ole Miss had a, its second scrimmage of fall camp. 
over the weekend. We didn't really didn't get a whole lot in what is in terms of like what actually went down at the scrimmage. Um, Matt Luke Shocker was pleased with both sides. Uh-huh. Um, you know, he said they got broke off a couple of good runs early. He said Scotty Phillips broke a long run. I think you've heard that in both scrimmages. They came out relatively injury free. Um, Jalen Julius rolled what I assume is the same ankle. Matt Luke didn't specify, but he was out. Limited at practice on Monday. Uh, Jalen, no, no, Hamilton Hall, excuse me, has a, um, he had a high ankle sprain out four or five more days. Other than that, I think they came out okay in the, um, on the injury front. Look, people, I get asked all the time, how are they looking you know, what's going on in the scrimmage? You can't tell. That need, nobody's going to know how this team looks until they, excuse me, line it up against uh, against Memphis in the Liberty Bowl on August thirty first. There's just no way to tell. They're practicing against air in practice. Like there's just no way to tell what they look like. Um, you maybe can tell bits and pieces from kind of the stuff coaches are saying and how good they feel. Like, I guess for example, Matt Luke, I was asked on Monday how comfortable he feels with his offensive line and how many he feels he can play. And he said, I feel pretty comfortable with going seven deep, maybe eight. That tells me it's the starting five. Um, you add Alex Givens in there, it may go to eight, nine. Um, I don't know. I don't. We'll get to that in a second. Um, but that tells me it's the starting five. It's one or two of the freshmen in terms of Broker and James because they're going to have to play and maybe like Jalen Cunningham. I'm just not sure the rest of the second second team offensive line he's actually comfortable playing. I mean, with respect to Carter Colquitt, I believe is how you pronounce it, he's the second team center right now. I don't think if there was a game right now um, and Eli Johnson twisted an ankle that he would be going in the game, I imagine they'd get Bryce Ramsey, Ben Brown, someone like that to sna- snap the ball and just make do with it. Yeah, I mean, I don't figure he, like you said, he's the actual backup center, but he, he's the guy that runs with the twos right now. Um, they're going to have a lot of makeshift offensive line stuff. And, look, they are got to have guys that can play both positions. If they don't have guys that can play both positions, that really hampers their depth, and, and that's a problem because it's going to be hot as hell in the Liberty Bowl. Actually, I saw the weather. It's actually not supposed to be that hot, but we're like a week and a half out. Yeah, I don't believe that at all. Do you, you look at the 86 66? Uh, no, I did not. I, I, I just I'm not taking your word for it. I don't, I don't believe it. I, I don't. Well, I, mean, I don't I, trust I, weather guys in general. And that stadium is either hot as hell or colder than ice. So it, and there's really no in between. So I, for respectfully, I don't really care what science says. I don't buy it for a second. So, so you're not believing it till you show up and it's 85 degrees. Uh, yeah, no, I don't believe it. So take that National Weather Service. Um, but yeah, I mean we're what. At the time of this recording, nine no ten days away from that from from all this happening. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, we've talked about it ad nauseum. Like, God, this game is so massive for Ole Miss. But at the same time, like, if Ole Miss loses this game, it's not the end of the season. But man, if you win it, you really put yourself in good position going into Arkansas. No, but it's not the end of the season in terms of. I mean, it's not the end of the season. That's a strong word, but in terms, I mean, a strong phrase. But it, you can't really measure these two games, these this opening game and the second game, and really the month of September. You can't measure it into a vacuum because it's not only you're just trying. It's not only you're trying to get find a path to six wins, and to do that, you're going to have to make your hay. 
in September, as we've said over and over and over again in the offseason. You're also trying to re-engage a fan base that has been largely apathetic and has had plenty of reason to be apathetic because there's no leadership in the school. They hired a head coach that, fair or unfair, I like Matt Luke. I hope he does well just because he seems like a nice man. He treats us well. Um, he seems honest in a world where that's in an industry where that's not always the case. Um, but he, they hired a coach that a lot of people in the fan base saw as unqualified for the job um, at a time where they really need to make an important hire and change the, traje- or change the direction the football pr- program was going in. Um, there's really no leadership at all in the school right now. Like, There's reason for the fan base to be apathetic and not care, and you're going to have to give them a reason to care, and losing to Memphis or losing to Arkansas, or God forbid they lose to both, is not going to do that. <laughs> God, if they lose both they're gonna have to sell alcohol rather quickly if they lose both yeah so people are making i guess we can get on that for a second people are making a big fuss about that here's so chase i saw chase parham did some reporting on it um from people he talked to inside and outside the uh and i don't want to take it because i think he put it on his vip page or whatever yeah so i'm not gonna like rip what he said go to rebel grove subscribe to rebel grove if you want to go see that i'm not going to like rip off what he said but basically the gist of it is and i think it's probably along the lines of what a lot of people thought and i mean it's kind of what you've been hearing too is it's it's a reflection of no leadership of the school because the athletic department obviously they want the revenue stream they want to sell it but there's other people in the lyceum there's other people on campus that basically are have i guess holdups or hindrances about it happening um, which is really a microcosm for how the school is being run right now because there's no leadership. It's like a ship headed toward an iceberg with no one steering. Yeah. Uh, I think if you're the athletic department, don't you just tell everybody else to screw off, though? Because, I mean, you're going you're gonna to wind up selling it. You don't, have the, you don't have the clout to do that. You have an interim athletic director. If Ross Bjork was still here, they'd be selling alcohol September 7th against Arkansas. But he's not. Carter really wanted to sell alcohol, he could do it. Man, I think, I think it's, it's a hell of a lot more complicated than you're giving it credit for. Maybe so. I just feel like if he made a big enough fuss that uh, Ole Miss would sell alcohol. But in his job to not make a fuss, his job to keep is to keep this I thing mean, in between yeah. the lines. I, I Same with Larry Sparks. Same with all these dudes in there. That is the problem. They don't have any permanent leadership. And with respect to Keith Carter, I think he's done a good job for the short amount of time he's been in there. I think he's a bright guy. Like, it's not... It's not a, like we talked about this on the radio show yesterday. It's not a knock on Keith Carter, but he and Larry Sparks' job is to keep this thing in between the lines, like in and and not to, I guess, overstep and not really, you know, run it, run the car off the road. Um, then the question becomes: If you start selling alcohol, are you running the car out from in between the lines? No, but it's a matter of having the power to make a move like that and basically just override everyone else. Which, if you're an interim athletic director, do you really have that power? I would lean no. Oh, and he didn't extend the contract to a 20-year baseball coach. I feel like he's got a little bit of a say, though. Yeah, but not extending the contract such a, like, a lo- like that's such an, a, that is a misconstrued term with the way the contracts are done in the state. Mike Bianco still has three years left on his deal. It's not like, hey, buddy, you're going to go to the last year of your contract and sweat this thing out. He just no, didn't roll him back to four extend- because of the stupid way the public, because the stupid way contracts are structured in the state. No, but. I mean, it was a decision Mike or uh, Keith Carter made. Mike Smith was extended for doing the literally the exact same thing. Yeah, I understand that, but it, like, that, I don't think that's the same level of like power move. I guess if you're going to be uh, lack of a better phrase, because this is a new thing that takes a lot of like it took a Ross Bjork a lot of t- time to get the pieces in motion to make this happen. Whenever the SEC did pass 
whatever piece of legislation it was to allow this to happen. I'm just saying if you think it's as simple as him being like him saying, okay, I want this done and him not making a big enough fuss about it, I don't think that's true because it would have already happened by now. Okay. I, I, just, I think Keith Carter has a little bit more power than you do. But, I mean, we can agree. He definitely has more power than I do. <laughs> sure enough. Um. Anyway, but so people are making a big fuss about this. Look, if they want to be stupid and not maximize a revenue stream, then let them be stupid. It's not going to stop people drinking at the games. Like, no, it's, it's not, not. going to change anything. Wait. Yes, I get it. I get it's the four. I get it. it. It pisses people off because it's just kind of a microcosm for how the schools run and it never being able to get out of its own way. I get that, but like. They're making a fuss about it. If like all roads is in like there's there's not a world within two seasons that alcohol is not being sold at Vault Hemingway Stadium. That's just not the like all roads lead to alcohol being sold at Vault Hemingway Stadium. If they want to fight it and cost themselves money and be dumb, then just let them be dumb. Well, if it's inevitable, my point is why not do it now? Like it, it, it's because it's Ole Miss, like man. Do what? Because it's 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 Ole Miss. It's on brand with everything. The way they run everything. It's on brand with the way they, the schools run. It's on brand with the, the way they do everything. I get what you're saying. We're in agreement on that. But like people are really upset about it. And like I, I guess if you want to find something to be upset about, it's August. There's not much going on right now. That's fine. But like if you want to, my, my basically my saying what I'm saying is if you're a fan and you want to drink at Vaught Hemingway Stadium, you could still do that. I get being upset at the sheer stupidity of it and the lack of logic, but just let them be stupid. If they don't want to make money, if they say, actually, we don't like this money, we don't want it. I know we haven't gone to a bowl and gotten any of that revenue, but we don't really like money. We don't want it. Why not just let them be dumb? Well, I mean, because when you're when you're a fan and you root for a program that is you know, as broke as it's ever been, you would probably prefer that they quit being as broke or take it, try to take advantage of not being broke. Yeah. I, I guess that's fine. I guess I just like it was a big fuss yesterday. We were talking about it on the radio, and I'm just like sitting there, and I'm I'm like, not to be who cares guy, but really like who cares? Like if if, if you want to drink a Vaughn Hemingway Stadium, you could drink. If you want to be, if you want to sit on and beat the drum that hey, look at this school doing another stupid thing. I understand that. Beat that drum until all, all you want. I'm just saying, there's not a whole lot you can do about it. So getting up in arms over it isn't really going to do anything. I mean, well, I guess. unless you're I, calling I the Lyceum and being like, hey, why are you being stupid sell alcohol? That's going to take thousands of people doing that, sounds like. Well, I, I guess my thing is, like you, you said, uh, if you want to drink in Baltimore, anyway, you can. I, I, I guess I somewhat agree with that. But I do think there's a guy that goes to the game that has to drive back to, hell, I don't know, Jackson, that would drink one or two beers during the game that's not going to sneak a, a, a flight of whiskey in. You know, I do think that guy exists. No, that they that guy one hundred percent exists. I understand that. I guess I'm coming at it from the angle of well, they've been doing this for years. Whatever that guy's been doing, I imagine that guy, if he wants to drink a couple beers at a game, has not remained sober at every Ole Miss game he's gone to for the last years. So at least for the foreseeable future, it sounds like he's going to have to stick to what he's been doing. Which, yes, I get. Be I'm not saying I don't. I guess. I guess I'm not saying I don't understand being angry if you're an Ole Miss fan because I do understand being angry. But I, I guess I'm just kind of at the point where it's like, okay, well, it is what it is, so like, why continue to harp on it if these people are not going to be smart and not sell alcohol? I guess that's where I'm coming at it. Like, I don't want it to sound like I'm chastising Ole Miss fans for being upset about it because I, I, I guess if you were really invested in it, it would be – I mean, it, it would be – upsetting just to see how dumb the school is being on top of the inconvenience of having to stuff liquor in your pants instead of just going to buy beer at the at the uh at the thing um or at the concession stand like i guess i get that i 
I don't even really know what I'm saying. I guess I'm just sitting there looking at this thinking, well, if they're being stubborn about it now, why not just let them be dumb? Because eventually it's going to happen. So I guess I'm telling Ole Miss fans to be patient and wait out the stupidity. Is that Does that make any sense? I guess, but, man, I, I, I get being frustrated too. Um, it just feels like, and you said this earlier, it just feels like Ole Miss continues to do stupid stuff after stupid stuff. If someone's if if someone's waking up today being like, I can't believe Ole Miss did something not smart. Like, like buddy, where have you been? Like, what, 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 where? Like, were you frozen? Like, I don't know. Like, did you just go wake up from a coma? What's going on? Yeah, I mean, and I think that just over time it magnifies itself with every stupid decision they make. That's fair. I, I, I guess. I, I guess when we started talking about that, I was coming off as like, "Hey, I don't get why people are upset," and that's probably mis. Like, that's. N- I guess not the point I was trying to get across. It's more just like, I guess, like you said, you're so used to this. It like the same things happening and it not getting out of its own way. It's just. Uh, it's just a oh okay here this is again like type of thing. You know what I mean? I guess I'm so not surprised by it that I'm. I'm I've. I've become perplexed at how people continue to get up in arms at stuff like this, I guess. I mean, there's there's a lack of leadership on that campus that uh, doesn't feel like the IHL or uh, Ole Miss is interested in addressing. But that's another story for another day. Uh, yeah, I guess a shout-out to Chase, too, for being plugged in. Um, sound like he talked to a, a, a bunch of people like that. Again, I don't want to rip everything he said. I hope I didn't divulge too many details that were like in it. Um, if you actually want to read what was reported, just go to rebelgrove.com, subscribe. Um, so that's your Rebel Grove, Rebel Grove plug for the day. Um, anyway, back towards the football front. So in your drunken stupor and you turn your attention to the football field, here's what you might could see. Oof. God, God don't do that. Um, here's I'm just going through my practice notes as I have for the last couple of ones, which you can read every day for free at supertalk.fm. No subscription needed. Um, if this will ever pull up because the internet in here sucks. Um, I think if the internet doesn't get better in here, I'm just going to start threatening violence. <laughs> just start punching holes in the wall and stuff. What is going on? Um... Well, so anyway, on Monday we talked to Matt Luke, we talked to Braylon Sanders, we talked to Benito Jones, and we had one more person that we talked to, and I can't remember who it is, and I'm basically talking slow to stall out because this is bad podcasting because I can't get the damn thing to pull up. <laughs> um, one second. Um... Anyway, I, I guess we'll start with Braylon Sanders. We talked to Braylon Sanders just about he's kind of the older guy in the uh, in the receiving room. Now, kind of similar to Elijah Moore, even though Elijah Moore is just a sophomore. Um, I don't think Braylon Sanders in his first couple of years got enough credit for cracking uh, into the into the rotation because you're talking about a receiving core with the likes of Demarcus Lodge, you know, AJ Brown, DK Metcalf. And as a freshman and a sophomore, like like Sanders wasn't a redshirt guy. Like he came in and played immediately, and he's not a big physically imposing guy like those guys are. But he's a pretty good deep threat and a really good route runner when they did run routes, which is not necessarily often last year. Um, and I, I don't I don't know. I just I think that went very under the radar, and it was kind of like oh, Braylon Sanders is on the field again. It's like yeah, this kid's actually really good if he's if he's cracking that rotation. Um, 
He doesn't have that many catches for his career, but he's made some impactful ones and caught a few touchdowns. Yeah, I mean, Braylon Sanders can play, and I feel like that gets forgotten about because the other three guys above him were really good. Um, but I think, yeah, he's going to be a guy that Ole Miss is going to target a lot this year. He's probably, what, going to have the second most receptions behind Elijah Moore? Um, That's hard to say at this point. To your, if you're talking about him being the second best or best wide receiver or like reliable receiver, probably they've just shown so much of like dual slot stuff with Tylen Knight and Elijah Moore in the slot. In terms of just sheer volume of catches, I'm not sure if uh, Tylen Knight doesn't have more. I'm just not sure how they're going to use him. So I, I guess I balk it at saying that. But if you're talking about best or second best receiver, like it's more in Sanders. Yeah, I mean absolutely. I'll talk topic real quick. How many carries? Jerry and Ely get against Memphis. Like, give me a number. Seven? I was going to go eight. Eight? Okay. I mean, same thing. Back to topic. We had that discussion last night, and I just didn't know where he kind of fit into the offense at this point. I think Snoop Connors made that a little more difficult than uh, people had imagined when Ely stepped on campus, right? Five-star kid, um, you know, it's like, oh, he's going to play immediately. He's going to be the back, I mean, uh, at, like, aside Scotty Phillips, like next to. Um, but Snoop Connor has made that really interesting and made it a lot more difficult, uh, I guess, to forecast than I guess ori- originally people have thought. We've talked about this before. He really benefited from uh, coming to campus in January, uh, had a really good spring, has had a pretty good fall camp. So I wonder whose carries number suffers. Like, is it I, – like I, to me, if you had to give me a guess right now, I'm going to go Phillips – some combination of Connor and Ely and then Willard being the fourth guy, which is kind of a tough situation for a kid that was pretty good last year, particularly when Scotty Phillips went down. But I think it's just a product of the depth in the room, and Willard's not the biggest guy in the world. Oh, no. I mean, look, they've got guys that can carry the load. Um, I guess same question for Snoop Connor. How many carries against Memphis? Same, same seven to eight or so? Um. Yeah, I mean, if they both got to 10 or one got to 10 and one was at 5, that wouldn't shock me either. I'm just going to go between 15 carries, the 15 to 17 carries between the two of them. And and Scotty probably gets 17 to 18, so that's probably 34 to 35 running plays. That's probably about right. Um, Yeah, although if they're running the ball well, I think they might like to run the ball more than that Um, if, yeah. the, if the game's I mean, going. That's fair. Um, well, but yeah, no, I mean, that's, that's a right neighborhood. I'm just thinking like, man, if they, if it's working, they might go 40, 45. I mean, they're not going to be shy about giving Scotty Phillips carries. They, they I can tell you this, if Ole Miss is up three with the ball and four and a half minutes left and they're trying to bleed out the clock, uh, Scotty Phillips is getting the ball a lot. Well, and you've seen a decent amount of two back sets with he and, uh, with he and Snoop Con, so the, what's been telling? Well, honestly, and we don't see much of practice, and don't take this for like etched in stone. But what was telling to me last week at practice is they ran a couple of two back sets um, when they were going up against Air, and trust me, they tore up Air's defense. Uh, Air's defense was shit. Um, was, was it better in Ole Miss last year? Debatable. Um, <laughs> but in the two back set, it was Snoop Connor and. And Scotty Phillips running with the first team, and I believe I couldn't see on the other side of the field, and I was too lazy to walk over there because it was really hot. Um, that, that, I think it was Willard and Ely running with the twos. I don't know what you make of that. Like if you asked Rich Rodriguez, he'd probably be like, "Oh no, we were just rotating guys in and out." But I don't think that's nothing. Have, have any? 
any of the media people ever considered asking Matt, like, hey, have you thought about practicing inside some? Well, <laughs> no, because, like, I mean, I, I don't know. It's not really our place to, like, ask that unless I'm he's, kidding. like, yeah, unless he's, like, killing them. I would love for them to practice inside. That way I wouldn't have to go change shirts in between practice and interviews. Um, Wait, really? I mean, between that and radio, I smell like a foot. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's so, yeah, I mean, it's it, dude, it's hot out there. So, I, Wait, I'm pretty, Okay, I thought you meant, like, you went to practice, went change shirts, and then went to interviews. Okay, that makes a little more sense. Well, no, I've done that before, because a lot of times, if they go practice long, we have an hour and 15 minutes to an hour and a half between the time we get booted out of practice to interviews. And I don't oh. live very far away. Oh, dude, okay, fair enough. Um... So it just depends on the day. Like, sometimes I'll stay and get my practice report done if I'm feeling really productive, and sometimes I'll go home and change and, like, get lunch or something. It really just depends on the day. A little inside baseball, though, that no one cares about. Um, Anyway, um, I forgot what I was saying. So anyway, they've done a decent amount of two-back sets, and Snoop Connor's been the second guy so far. Will that be the case on August 31st? I don't know. I'm not saying, he, like, Darren Ely's going to play. Like, I, let's not kid ourselves here. Um, Jerry Neely's going to play. Jerry Neely's going to get carries this year. And honestly, when they see him in a game and they see his explosiveness, that might be one of those things where it grows based off his production in games. If he has seven touches for 78 yards and a touchdown where he busts a long one for a score or something like that, obviously his workload's going to increase the next week. Oh, absolutely. Um, and I think he's a guy that's going to get better as the season goes on, and Ole Miss is going to need him to be. Um, look, obviously the ceiling on Jerry Neely is extremely high. Um, and, and, and he's going to get a lot of carries this year. Like, Sue Connor's going to get a lot of carries this year. It's going to be a probably three-horse race in the backfield, and you're probably going to need every one of them because the SEC beats you up, man. For sure. I mean, you need the depth there. And, that I mean, I, th- I think it's a good sign for Ole Miss in terms of their running back depth that they move a guy that was once thought to be the future of their backfield. Granted, he's coming off a very catastrophic knee injury to tight end because you simply just didn't need another back. That's a decent problem to have. And I'm, obviously, yeah. if you if you if you haven't been listening or paying attention, um, it's I sounded like a teacher there. It's it's they moved Devon Penniman to tight end because they need a little bit more tight end depth. Um, that's another note we can hit. We're kind of all over the place today. Um, Ole Miss is supposedly getting a transfer tight end, Chase Rogers, um, from ULL, a kid that went to Saint Stanislaus. I think he was committed to Tennessee at one time, got hurt, ended up at ULL. Um, is transferring to Ole Miss. He has a foot injury that he's nursing in uh, ULL camp. I've reached out to try to get in contact with the kid to get a little a story or just get you know his thoughts on coming. That has been to no avail yet. Um, if I'm able to do that, we'll have that on supertalk.fm. Um, I thought that was interesting in the sense that, yeah, the kid is going to walk on this year. Whether he's on scholarship after that, I'm not sure. Uh, not going to be able to play this year. I think he has to sit out if he has to sit out because of transfer rules. He's hurt anyway and was probably going to miss most of the season. But the tight end position for Ole Miss right now is a little bit weird because you have two guys that you feel pretty good about in Octavius Cooley and Jason Pellerin, but they're both seniors and they're both gone. And so what is the tight like if you're if you're asking it from the vantage point of this being the question, what does the tight end room for Ole Miss look like in twenty twenty? That's not it doesn't look great right now, I'll put it that way. I mean you've got Alex Faniel who <laughs> I sounded ridiculous for saying this the other day, but if you watch Alex Faneuil in practice and just the way he's built, he's a less 
He's a slightly skinnier Evan Ingram in terms of just build. I'm not talking about skill set. I have not seen Alex Faneuil so play in a game. So he's the first round pick. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Alex Faneuil, first round pick to the New York Jets. Um, going to mix it up a little yeah, bit. Yeah, no, but he, he's, he's – I guess what I'm saying is there's – I don't know if Alex Faneuil's skill set is any good. I haven't seen enough of him um, – to really, I mean, I haven't. We, we, nobody's really seen any of Alex Faneuil. He hasn't really played in a game. All I'm saying is, if that kid turns out to be able to catch and block, the the body frame is there. He has an enticing body frame. Is basically what I'm trying to get at. He's six six, two hundred and thirty pounds. Oh, I mean, yeah, long skinny <laughs> so, kid. Look, if he can go make catches and he can block, okay, that could be something. But point being, he's not proven. And so, Ole Miss is tight end room in 2020. I don't know what that looks like. They're trying to get the kid out of Oxford. They got another tart. They got another. I think the other one's a JUCO kid. I don't remember his name, but like, if you miss on one or both of those, the tight end room suddenly is like, okay, what what are you doing? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, look, look, um, he's a, he's a guy that's probably going to be their tight end next year. Like you said, there's not a ton of depth. He was a Tennessee commit before he got hurt. Uh, I think he's probably an SEC football player. Ole Miss needed the depth. So let me get this. He went to ULL camp this year, got hurt, and then transferred? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So he'll be a senior next year? Um, no. Okay. Hold on. I had this pulled up earlier. This damn internet. <laughs> Honestly, if if you don't have working, uh, how does how are we in the year twenty nineteen and the internet doesn't work? Well, the, there's like some restaurants I go to back home. Well, one restaurant that you don't have like cell phone service in. I'm like, how is this the case? Junior, he's a redshirt sophomore this year. Okay, so. Okay, he's a redshirt sophomore this year. He'll lose this year, so he'll be a junior next year. Well, that's two years of depth to tight end. So many doesn't go for us. Um, yeah, no. So and like and if Devon, that's another reason for the move with Devon Penniman. Um, if it still works out, like if it uh, like if if the Devon Penniman thing works out, that's another guy that you have there. That's kind of like the, I guess the upside of that. Obviously, Devon Penniman, not your prototypical tight end at five eleven or whatever he is in two thirty. Um. I mean, seeing Alex Faneuil and Devon Penniman run the same type of routes in the same position at six six and five eleven is kind of something to watch. Not saying he can't do it, but you're not you're probably not sending Devon Penniman over the middle on a seam. Uh, probably not. Um, certainly not throwing him jump balls. Uh, so that'll be interesting to watch how uh, that all shakes out. There is, is Cooley and or, or Pellerin was hurt. Is he back? No, he was back. He was back at the end of last week, completely unrestricted. He was in the concussion protocol, I believe. From the first week of camp, I think he got a concussion uh, right before the first scrimmage. Um, he's been back. Point being, they uh, they they feel okay about what they have in their first two tight ends. They've been running a decent amount of tight end sets. It's just after that, you kind of look around, and you're like, oh, no, these guys have really played football. I mean, you got Jonathan Hess who came in as like a, I think he was like a like a linebacker safety almost type of thing. But I swear he was once listed as a D end, moved to the offensive side of the ball. Um, so just point being, there's not a lot there. But I was actually talking to a, a a a guy in the recruiting office the other day, just kind of, you know, shooting the shit about shit for the lack of a better phrase, and like recruiting college tight ends is a tricky game. Oh yeah, because outside of the handful of elite like high, because there aren't that many tight ends in high school where you're like, hey, that's going to be an elite college tight end, because it's such a strange position and so it's like such varying body types or their receivers. 
like in college, you either basically try to find a kid that's kind of an elite tight end that's kind of the cookie cutter mold in terms of the body, and you're like, obviously, this kid's going to be a really good cut tight end, or you find a kid that is too slow to play receiver and is big or can't keep enough weight to play on offensive line. Like somewhere in that range, you're trying to find tweeners. And honestly, it's a difficult game. Oh, absolutely. Um, so, I, look, I don't begrudge anybody trying to recruit tight ends because you're having to take guys that are more than likely playing receiver or maybe even linebacker, maybe even both, and throwing them at tight end. Um, and, you know, hey, for the first time in their life, they get to go put their hand in the dirt and block an outside linebacker. So it's certainly a different difficult subset. Yeah. Um, as far as other practice notes, as I continue to go down this list, the internet went out again. Um, <laughs> this, is, this is really pissing me off. Um, Fix the internet, Rip. Yeah, this is just unbelievable. Um, we talked to Ben Brown was the other guy we talked to. Um, he's a redshirt sophomore, obviously going to play guard. Um, it was interesting listening to him talk about the young offensive linemen and the different things they're going to have to do to be ready. We he was a guy that got thrown into the fire last year as a redshirt freshman. Um, played in all twelve games. Um, not exactly the same situation as like Bro- Nick Broker and Jeremy James are going to find themselves in, but he can relate to being thrown into the fire at a young age. Which is actually, I'm talking to Sean Rawlings later this week for a similar story on just some of the challenges these guys are going to face. I hope we have that out by the end of the week. But um, point being is like Rawlings kind of had the same deal where he had the red shirt year where they kind of put some weight on him he was considered a developmental project wasn't really supposed to play as a red shirt freshman either and then Laramie Tunzel had kept a loner car too long and what do you know Sean Rawlings is playing against Alabama and Bryant Denny in 2015 and played pretty well they won that game without Laramie Tunzel which some people tend to forget um but so we talked to Ben Brown about the challenges of it, and he was just talking about, I mean, it's really the obvious of what you think. It's the speed. Um, newsflash, SEC defensive linemen are faster than high school defensive linemen. And he was talking about attention to detail and technique. He's like, first step, you know, at this league, if, you're, if your first step is a half, you know, if your angle is a half inch off or your first step is a little bit late, like the entire play's over and your quarterback's going to get killed. So the margin for error for these guys is razor thin. And, like, I don't know, from a million different angles, if we've analyzed how young these offensive linemen are, like the ones they're going to have to play, it was interesting to hear a guy that's done it, I guess, talk about it. Oh, absolutely. Um, and look, like, like you said, he was a guy that was thrown into the fire, so he's not going to have any, or nobody's going to have any more perspective than him. So, look. But we've been, we've said it, you know, a thousand times. We've said it once. These young guys are, are, are really the key for the season. If they're ready to go on the offensive line and can play well, Ole Miss is probably going to go six and six, uh, maybe even better. If they're not, there's a chance this this is going for disaster. If they, I mean, if you got one, you know, if you can tell the get told the production of one group uh, for the season right now, it's the offensive line, right? Because then you you know pretty much what Ole Miss is going to be. Yeah, more than likely. I mean, I guess you could say the defense because, you know, if the defense is atrocious again, it, it might not matter. But, yeah, the offensive line is probably what – I mean, if you got if you, if you can get a gauge for how they're going to play, it'd be the, that'd be the easiest to prognosticate their season. Um, really, only other notes I had is I wrote down the, the defensive rotation has been interesting to me. Um, First team defense, Jalen Jones and Keedron Smith. Not a whole lot to report there. Jalen Jones, Keedron Smith, and Miles Hartsfield. Jalen Jones is one starting one at one corner without a, a shadow of a doubt. Keedron Smith and Miles Hartsfield have been kind of rotating back and forth as who's rotating with ones and twos. 
if one's not starting the opening game, they're going to play a bunch of snaps. Ole Miss has a decent – that's kind of a nice luxury to have. John Haynes was back at practice at small at strong safety. A.J. Finley was playing free safety um, in the absence of Jalen Julius. So with Julius – so Haynes missed a decent amount of time at camp with a lower lower body injury, um, which for as open as Matt Luke is about injuries, I'm not sure how we'd settled on that just being a lower body. Um, but with Jalen Julius being out – for a while, it's given some of these younger guys some reps at uh, some reps at the safety spot where Ole Miss is not necessarily very deep. Um, you know, I'm looking at the Armani Lintons, the uh, C.J. Miller's gotten some first team reps at strong safety. Um, the two that have been, I wouldn't say, cons- I don't want to say concerning because I just don't necessarily know what what the deal is is going on is. Vernon Dasher's a guy that played a decent bit of football last year for Ole Miss, and you haven't seen a ton of him repping in the two deep at e- at the strong safety position. And Montreal Custis is still in a non-contact jersey and has really not recovered from that ACL injury maybe as fast as he would like. Jalen Jones had a similar injury about four weeks apart. If you're looking for a comparison, he's been back in full go since the start of fall camp and probably a little bit before that. Um, people kind of heal in different ways, but that's something to monitor because Montreal Custis was playing pretty good football before he got hurt last year and has still not shed the no-contact no jersey. That tells me he's 100% not going to play against Memphis, I would think. Um, and how long it lingers after that, I don't know. But with Haynes and Julius getting out, some other guys have gotten reps, but it hasn't been Dasher and it hasn't been Custis. Yeah, I mean, look, the secondary just kind of is what it is to me. Um They've got some guys back there that can play, but they've got to stay healthy. Uh, obviously, he's probably going to be out the first week or so. But that's one group to me that, or maybe the entire defense, it just kind of is what it is. And you're going to get the production level of, of what your talent probably, you know, deems that you should. Yeah, um, if you're looking for a concern, like outside of your, I mean, I think Julius can play. We talked a little bit on Monday about his switch from. From defense, from cornerback to safety, as more of a he's not a glorified slot corner, but his ability to defend a slot receiver as a cornerback made the move over there enticing. He obviously has a lot more responsibilities at free safety, but that's kind of why he made the move. But it's, after that, it's just not a lot of guys. I mean, you've got Cam White who played a little bit last year. Armani Linton played. Armani Linton played some. Um, Vernon Dasher played, but I haven't seen a ton of him. Um, I'm. Might try to kind of get down into that towards the end of this week when we talk to Mike McIntyre, the defensive side of the football on Friday. Um, but it's given guys like AJ Finley. Um, who else am I thinking of here? Um, Jamar Richardson's been out there some. Um, just some younger guys, some opportunities to get reps um, that wouldn't that wouldn't otherwise be getting them. So. Um, the second team de- defense went as follows, if this is any interest to you. Oh, I didn't even finish the first team. We've been all over the place today. Um, outside linebacker Sam Williams, Willie Hibbler. Hibbler is in place of uh, Kadir Shepard, who was back at practice the other day with a club on his hand. Kind of had the Patrick Willis club going on. Um, inside linebacker Lakia Henry and Mohamed Sanogo. Henry looks like he's in line to start uh, the first game. A guy that, you know... Not very common for a junior college guy to not come in for the spring, but he was not. He did not come in for spring football. Kind of took a while to get adjusted to camp. I, once he got in camp, appears to be kind of on the up and up as far as coming up the depth chart. Defensive end was Ryder Anderson, Josiah Coatney, and nose tackle was Benito Jones. The uh, second team was Miles Hartsfield um, and um, 
Brendan Williams, Brandon Mack at outside linebacker, Dante Evans and Willie Hilbert inside linebacker, Armani Linton was at strong safety, C.J. Miller free safety, um, Tarikas Tisdale and Austin Robinson were defensive end. Those guys, along with Coatney and Ryder Anderson, have really been rotating as far as who's starting. If you made me guess today who starts, I'm going to say Coatney and Tisdale, but I could be wrong about that. They feel pretty good about the depth they have on the defensive line there. Nose tackle was K.D. Hill. Um... That's, I mean, not really a whole lot to report from that. I mean, that's kind of what it'll look like. Like, I feel like the defense is starting to understand who their two deep is. You know, there's going to be some moving parts at, you know, in an outside linebacker, probably inside a little bit, some little bit in the secondary. They feel pretty good about the defensive line. That's pretty much what they've got going on from a defensive depth chart perspective. Um, really not a whole lot to report other than that. Uh Kadir Shepard will probably play in the... I mean, he's going to play in the first game. I don't think they're worried about that. I'm not sure if he'll have the club or not for that. Um, but the club seems hard. What? The club seems hard to deal with. If you have a broke hand, you're not able to grip and hold on to things. Yeah, I would imagine losing opposable thumbs is tough when you're trying to tackle people. Yeah, I mean, I really don't understand how guys can take on blockers do it. Yeah, I, I'm kind of with you on that. Um, That's really about all I had as far as notes from practice. Um... Yeah, we're kind of when we're gonna go talk to him today. I'm about to get out of here and go to practice because they bumped it up 45 minutes. Um, you got anything else? And we can get into hoops a little bit on Friday, I guess, um, because I really need to run um, to football practice. Um, but I mean, unless uh, we miss anything, is there anything else pressing? Man, really? I, I don't think so. I feel like uh, it's the doldrums of, of, of fall camp. We're, we're 10 days away, so. It, it, it pretty much about covered it. Yeah, I mean, next Monday is Monday press conference week. Like it's it's game week and it's here, so it's it's approaching fast. Um, the last week of fall camp is always kind of monotonous in the sense that, like, yeah, they kind of know what they are at this point. It's just kind of kind of stay healthy, fine tune some stuff, start the Memphis install, which they started on Monday a little bit, and then get going. Like I, I don't think they're really any more position battles really kind of fleshing themselves out outside of maybe one or two minor things in terms of who's going to start versus who's going to come off the sideline. Um, other than that, that's really about it. Um, we have Mailbag Friday on Friday, the People's Holiday Returns. Send me your mailbag question. Text me, tweet me. I already got a, a quite a few from a, one or two guys earlier in the week. I think one of them was sending it to me like 2 in the morning. Not sure what you're up to, Chief, but um, yeah. So we got 5 or 6 there. Um, so we'll be back on Friday. Um, unless you got anything else, I'm going to run to practice. We will have a lo- this podcast was cut a little bit short. We were running a little bit uh, short on time, but we'll be back at it on Friday, uh, and then it'll be game week. Unless you got anything else, I'm going to practice. Sounds good. All right, for Colin Brister, I'm Brian Scott Ribby. Thank you for listening. Like and subscribe to the podcast. You can get this podcast on any podcast medium wherever you find podcasts. Apple, um, I- Apple iTunes. Uh, Spotify, wherever you get podcasts, you can get it. Rate and review it. Uh, you can write whatever you want on the review. Somebody wrote, this is not the worst podcast I've ever listened to. I'll take that as a raging compliment because I think you left five stars. Um, so, yeah, the People's Podcast will be back on Friday. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.